Hello, hello, and welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. It's Chantelle here, um, and you are welcomed to another industry insider. So this year, the podcast has launched several new segments, um, and one of them is to speak to Black women in their area of specialism. And if you haven't listened to an industry insider before, you can find um, Black women in real estate from earlier this year, as well as Black women in education. And today we have Black women in film. So I have four, four lovely guests who I would love to introduce themselves. So hello, ladies. <laughs> Everyone's like, you should go for <laughs> Tenny, Tenny Ola? Yes. Hey. Okay. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Would you like to tell the listeners who you are, what you do in film? Of course. Um, So my name is Tenny Ola Zara King. I am a writer and a director. I recently did a film film called Teddy's Tale, which is currently on Sky and has recently been released on YouTube. And I'm currently writing two TV pilots um, for two production companies, which is amazing. And yeah, bless me. Excellent. Hey, hey, Delia. Hello. Sorry, thought I wasn't on. Hi, um, I'm Delia Renee. I am a screenwriter, producer, and script coach and mentor. Um, at the moment, I run a script consultancy called Rewrite, where we help writers get feedback on their scripts and also connect them with agents and get them representation and recently I won mentor of the year at the Edinburgh TV festival and I'm currently doing a project with channel four and helped direct well helped develop uh nines's new documentary of crop circle which is dope and interesting so yeah that's me wonderful and hand it over to it Hi everyone. Uh, so my name is Oud Konen and I am a writer and a director. I have a couple of books out, um, novels, short stories collections, and I also do have directed and written one of my newest short films that was selected at the Chicago Indie Film Awards. So very pleased to be here. Lovely. And last but not least and I hope I pronounced your name correctly Ibukem um it's Ibukem but I appreciate you trying um I tried (laughs) sorry Um, no it's okay you tried I appreciate that um hi my name is Ibukem Olamorati I'm a writer uh I recently wrote a short film called Blood in the Water that won a competition at the Accra Indie Film Fest um and it premiered in Ghana last year I'm also an assistant at a tv production company and yeah what I do oh my god I'm like in the room of greatness and I feel like it's always so unfair to ask guests to introduce themselves because I mean there's probably so much in your CV and we just get a little a little highlight in 10 seconds but we will signpost our listeners to your work and they can find out a lot more about you so I'm really interested um to hear about your experiences. I have no idea about Black women in film, aside from um, the main conversations around representation. However, I did do a little digging. And so I'm going to, I'm going to come, I'm going to 
present to our listeners and to yourselves some some highlights some statistics that I came up with and you guys can talk to me about how these resonate with you so um I found an article on the Huffington Post written in 2018 and a study unveiled by the Directors UK on gender inequality revealed that from 2005 to 2014 only 13.6% of working film directors were women more astonishing is the fact that during a 10-year period, the percentage of UK film directed films directed by women only increased by 0.6%. And of course, when we take the intersection between race and gender, the statistics only get worse. So the statistics on the percentage of Black or BAME female directors in the UK are harder to come by. But the British Film Institute reported in 2012 that only 5. 3% of film product of the film production workforce were from BAME backgrounds. We're not even talking black, we're talking black, Asian, and minority ethnic groups. Um, so the assumption is that if we take black on its own, it's probably a lot lower. Um, BAME women account for only 2% of films directed of films of film directors. Um, and black women filmmakers have historically historically been placed at the margins of the film um, history. Um, the total number of audiovisual productions that black women have directed since 1981 is around 200. Um, yet it seems for most people, black women, uh, black British women filmmakers don't really exist. Um, talk to me, ladies. I feel like I always, I mean, it was the same sort of statistics when I spoke to educators like myself. The statistics are so low, like, here's the 1% of the five. <laughs> but like, what is, what is that? Who does this speak to? Um, so as someone who's very early in my career, um, I think I entered the TV and film industry officially maybe about two years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, those statistics are very accurate. Uh, from the minute you walk into production companies, it doesn't matter size, you're very, you're unlikely to see another Black woman. And when you do, it's simply like, hey, sis, I see you. We're both working in the space. Let's do it. Um, but in a lot of the conversations that happen, and a lot of the rooms and meetings where people are talking about, so I work in TV and then I write short films outside of work. A lot of the conversations that are happening, it's very rare to see another Black woman in that space. And so that's why I think whenever I do enter a space when I see another Black woman, so like a lot of us, I think, are in a group called Black Women Inscripted, I get very excited because it's very rare to be in a film and TV space and see another Black woman. And it's not like it's impossible, but those statistics, it it just, it seems, it's just factual from my experience as well, yeah. Is that about Black women wanting or not wanting to be in film, you know, that I, we can't ignore, like, our families, our families' histories of, you know, social economic difficulties, creative careers are often frowned upon by our parents, you know, you've got to go and get, go to university, get something solid, know that you've got a steady income, so is it a reluctance, do you think, or is it about, uh, what do you call it, gatekeepers, blockers, getting that seat at the table? 
I think it's gatekeepers because, of course, there's a reluctance because sometimes you might not even have uh, the socioeconomical background to survive in the arts because even more so now than ever, it's very complicated when... You, I'm not saying that every black person comes from um, a working class background. There's so many different class disparities, but let's say you come from a socioeconomical background where you your parents don't have loads of money. You need to find a way to sustain yourself, even if you try as a black person and let alone as a black woman. It is an industry where so much of your work might be expected for free or for a very low pay. And the truth is also that many people give up. Uh, when I was working in TV, I was part of a scheme um, through the, um, the TV network. And they were telling us that more than half of us were going to give up in uh, the next couple of years and that is true and that's the thing that many people have told us that people give up simply because you work so hard to have so very little rewards and money is increasingly important especially with the cost of living crisis but even before that so it's really tough especially after a certain age to really stay so I think that even outside of the whole family pressure or cultural different cultural norms I think that there are some gatekeepers or even also in terms of the ideas, the quality of the ideas. So many people have this project they really want to develop and they're being told that there's only one type of stories that can be that can be told or, or maybe that story is not really great because we need to think about, like, let's say, the white viewers. So maybe, maybe you should think about something else. So I think all these things definitely put a toll on many Black creatives. I think also we have to remember it's not the onus is on us. There is abundance of black stories and black creatives and black writers and black female directors and black producers. The issue is that the commissioners are usually old white men. And instead of seeing a creative like myself who wants to present a story and they make it, they see us as a risk. So when I go to a, a particular broadcast channel, they're immediately thinking, is this a show that, that's going to be at a nine o'clock, which has a certain demographic and a certain amount of views? Is this show going to resonate with my 9 PMers, which is the most prime time and the biggest slot and biggest budget? If they feel like my little black tail isn't going to hit what they want, they're not going to invest in it. And what happens time and time again is, as a writer, we get into these long years and loopholes of development. So what will happen in development is they will pay you over a certain amount of time to create a pilot, or maybe if you're lucky, more than that. And you end up being paid pennies for making this whole load of work over two, three years. And at the end of that two, three years, they could just turn around to you and say, oh, we're not going to make it no more. And then now you have to start all over again. And there's not as many opportunities over here that there is in America. You have Fox, you have Stars, you have um, HBO, you have all those Paramount, you have all those other channels. Here we are very limited on where we can go in terms of a market. So the onus really is an on. And the thing is, it's funny that if we don't do our job right as a writer, you can drop me. But as a commissioner, you can be there for years and no one is, there's no accountability up at the top level. They can be there for 10, 15 years, even losing viewers, losing subscriptions, but no one holds them accountable and no one calls them out. Mm, interesting. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I like I said, I don't know much about film. And so in terms of, owning and honing your craft 
what does it look like to, apart from having something that blows and then you get the numbers and you get the viewings, like what does it look like to escalate in the industry so that perhaps there are more black women in commission positions? Is that even a thing? Are these white men moving? Teach me, tell me what's happening. It's very hard. I have to say, I I I would I kind of give an insight through what I did. So I did a YouTube channel show called Venus versus Mars, but we did it on YouTube first. And when we did it on YouTube, we amassed over a million views. And then we was approached by a broadcaster to put it on there, um, as a as a like a resurgence to introduce everyone on their pl- platform to it. But it sounded all great until they so we. Um, gave them the rights to it, which is another thing. Another issue nowadays is that they want the whole rights to your show. Because um, if they're invested in your in your product, they expect to get some type of return. The issue is that they own your show and they own it for a very long amount of time. It could be three to five years. Now that's even getting longer. It could be between Netflix at the moment trying to own things for 15. Wow. So, yeah, crazy. So um, it went on to Sky. And then Sky was like, yeah, we're going to do all this stuff and it's going to be great. And we, our show was shown at 11.30. Who is staying up at 11.30 to watch a brand new show um, that they've never watched before? So obviously the numbers didn't do what they were supposed to do. But even after that, they still owned our show. So we can't then just take it back and say, oh, we're going to go to another broadcaster channel unless we're going to pay them what they paid for the show. And in terms of TV... It can be quite a lot of money, and as we, as um, everyone's saying, as a as a self employed person, I ain't got that coin to be giving you back for my own show. So though. that is absolute wickedness. Just holding on to your work because they can't even do anything with it, or they don't want to do anything with it. And that's this is the issue that a lot of us have because a lot of people will be like, oh, why don't we see our own version of this or that? The thing is that they could have been made. It's just the fact that we can't actually go anywhere with them until that clause has actually been done. Or what would happen is. If you take it somewhere else, that new production company or channel will then have to pay to the other channel to get it back. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's it's a big money making scheme, and and we're losing more and more of our rights, and we're kind of putting this chokehold of we can't say or do much without with our own stories. And it, you would seem you would think we get more respect for that because without our stories, what are you watching? But it's a very big cycle of of issue with business and money. And even if you have a particular show that's successful, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're automatically going to be commissioned for a second season. doesn't mean that they're going to listen to all your other ideas either because they could get what they call, they'll give you like a one-year deal to pitch all that you, you want and they could still turn around and say, nope, didn't want that. But now you've just wasted a year of your life pitching all these stories and you've got nowhere. So again, it's it's a time and it's a money thing and it's these lever-ending loopholes of business in TV, which very archaic, but we can't change them, which is another issue. So what keeps you motivated? What like like with this with this in mind? With with those with those factors in mind, like um, you know, there are varying degrees of experience and timeline in in this in this room on this podcast right now. Why enter the field? Why stay in the field? Ten years. Um, um, yeah, I was worth it. I was gonna say for me personally, I guess it's a sense of purpose and what I believe I'm called to do. Um, so like I'm a Christian. I'm a firm believer of like God telling people what they can and cannot do. And for me, I genuinely believe that He told me to go into film. Um, so even when you do have the downtimes, I'm just like, well, this is what I'm called to do. And even if you don't have faith, it's like, 
do you genuinely believe in what you want to do? And I feel like it's the faith in what you want to do that will carry you through the downtimes. Because just as Delia was saying, when you like start like, um, signing contracts and you start seeing all these different clauses about like how long they're going to keep um, like your work for and like the rights, like it can get very scary. And then you obviously hear stories like, um, okay, that's a cold story of like how with I May Destroy, she was like, no, I need to own the rights, da, da, da. But she had already done chewing gum and she had already like kind of amassed um, she, she had gotten to a certain level before she was able to say those things. But when you're just starting off, when you're just trying to like get your foot through the door and stay in the room, it's kind of harder to, you know, put up those things. I don't know if you guys have watched um, Air, um, the Michael Jordan film, um, but if you haven't watched it, definitely go and watch it. Um, but one thing that happened in Air was the fact that, actually, has everyone here watched it? I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Yeah, I mean, I'm it's, it's, I mean, it's just we kind of know the story. Fast forward about thirty seconds. We kind of know the stories. Spoiler alert! Um, but basically, he basically said that he is not going to sign with Nike unless his name is on the shoe, and anything that his name is on must, like, a, a percentage of that sale must go to him. But obviously, because he had already become, he wasn't even Michael Jordan at the level he was, but he was like people could see the signs of him doing well. Mm. Um. And I guess going back to film, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of just need to keep investing in yourself and keep just doing the work and keep um, having staying motivated by having faith in your work. Because once you get no's, it can be very, very demotivating. But if you genuinely believe this is what you're meant to do, then it's one of those ones where you just have to just, you know, maybe wipe that tear away and go again and keep going again. Um, because creating is something that we want to do, we love doing. And even though you do get those no's, it's like, well, this is what I'm called to do, so I'm going to do it regardless. So, I mean, that's how I personally stay motivated. Um, uh, Yeah, I completely second everything that Peniola said. I think um, it's a lot of you having to push yourself and continue to support yourself, especially when you're, like, first starting out, because as a writer especially in this UK there's not a lot of clear paths into how to get into TV or film and you're looking at a lot of American shows and a lot of like American productions and over there especially for writers it seems like a lot more structured but here you kind of know of like maybe the big TV shows but the TV and film industry in the UK feels like very hidden behind a wall especially when you're coming up but everybody says the minute you get in and you see behind the curtain you understand what to do um and that but as you're starting out it feels very much like uh you're kind of trying to break through that wall and yeah. it often feels like you're doing that by yourself physically like for black women it can often feel like I said before when you're not seeing other people like you you're kind of busting it through yourself so seeing like Michaela and I think a lot of people reference Michaela because like Tanya mentioned when she advocated for herself with I May Destroy You it was very much like a sign that our voices and our stories are very important and you don't just need to go for a deal just because Netflix is offering it to you. You can push for more and advocate for yourself. Um, and yeah, I think it's just really, it's very much about like self-motivation and kind of reminding yourself like you're, you want to see the story out there. You want to put it out there. And whether that's through a production company or whether that's maybe self-funding like a lot of people do, you find a way. So mm. us, I think that's like the consistent thing. You kind of have to keep on waking up and being like, this is what I'm here to do and this is what I want to put out there. And I think, I can't remember who said the quote, but there's a whole like, um, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you haven't read a book, if you haven't read your story, then write it. I know I've messed up that quote, but yeah. Yeah, yeah we know it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, this is industry insider. And so I, I, I imagine to some end, there are listeners who are just curious, you know, we, we, we want to celebrate black women, but there'll also be women in film who are like, ah, this episode is for me. So on the sort of topic of rights and once you're, once you've got your foot in, like, how easy is it to negotiate for what you actually want? How easy is it for you to to get the paper that you want? Talk to me about those negotiations because it does it applies across all industries, right? Because there's a gender pay gap, there's an ethnicity pay gap, and I, I, I can't imagine it's comparable to you guys in your industry. But what does getting paid mean? <laughs> Um, okay. Or would you like to? Thank you. Um, it's, I'm going to keep it very short. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I've been working in the film and TV industry for many, many years, ten plus years, and I've realized that I've barely gotten paid at all for the work I've done. So I don't even know how people do that. <laughs> so that's all I have to say on. The, all I have to say on that. As a writer, I have not. It's really tough. Um, I was going to say how I've, so I actually got into film as a producer in Nigeria and I was working there for like a few years. And then I came back here to London to do my master's in filmmaking. And basically I've been back in London since 2016 and I've been in film like for the last seven years. And it was literally only last December that I made my, got my first check for writing. Um, so that's seven years of work without, you know, really getting paid for anything and especially because the whole pathway into films to do short films and then hopefully that's your calling card to do bigger projects mm. short films you don't make money from them and you usually don't get paid especially with the rights of the director everybody else gets paid funny enough um, even though it might be just like a little bit of money but usually when it is your own project they're like well use that money to put it into the production design or like something else um so it's very 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 tricky um but I guess it goes back to your last question. If it is so tricky, why do you keep doing it? And it's like, well, this is what we're called to do. This is what we want to do. This is what we desire to do. Um, so it's weird. It's a weird one. And when you then do start getting paid, it's like back to the question of like rights and like contracts and like pushing for what you want. And usually like an agent would do that for you. But if you don't have an agent, then it becomes even more difficult um so I do have someone that is standing I don't, I don't personally have an agent right now maybe by God's grace when this comes out I might have one um but I don't actually have one but I do have a friend who is an agent um so she helped me like do my negotiations um with like different contracts and it's just like there's always a lot of back and forth especially when you're at the very very beginning and they're like well we're giving you the money to do this so why should we give you any more like why should we there are a lot of whys that they ask, and if you're not careful, you can also start doubting yourself and see if you're even worthy of this. Um, but I do want to say to anyone that is listening to this, you are worthy and keep fighting back because if you don't fight, nobody else will fight for you. So you do have to try and catch your best. You you also have to, as mad as it sounds, um, you just have to just be a brazen. I remember when without you having an agent. One, it's very hard to get a contract within TV because they don't tend to give you contracts about going through a funnel. So it has to go through a agency who then pay you. 
So getting a deal without an agent is very, very rare. And they're, that's their, basically their job is to try and like negotiate to get you better money. I'm always transparent what I get because then people know kind of the standard because the, like you were saying, this I don't believe in this, let's all keep things hush and um, there's a wall. So for me personally, um, I would say your first deal on average for a 30 minute script, you should make between 10 to 12 grand. I say should. Now, when I first got my development deal, I thought I was rich. I was like, what? Oh, geez, this is everything funny. But you have to realize that this is, like, there's a lots of clauses, but basically it's basically giving you what they think you should get within a year and a half year of work. So if you break down 12 grand into 12 months, that's basically- yeah, you're living off nine to nine hundred to, to grand a month, and then even then, you don't get the whole money up front. You Sorry, can I just? Pay. I I just did a session this week on numbers, right? That kind of figure means you're on about seven pound an hour. That is below <laughs> minimum wage, people. Yeah, and then you also have to pay your agent. You have to pay commission, and you have to pay tax. So the money that you think you're getting, that is like all this big money, it starts to cut down really um, big, um, and so. Even me, seven years in, I have to fight to even get the standard. And I even have to say sometimes, this is what the standard is and this is what the rates are. And I know you paid this person X. So why am I not getting the same amount of money? But um, in terms of negotiating your rights, it's very hard to, like like we said, if unless you're a Michaela Cole or you're someone else that they deem as a big name, even then it's very hard to um, keep your rights. Even then it's very hard to get your money. I'm very honest. I have a full-time job as well as do writing. Sometimes I don't sleep because I can't afford to just live off um, the, the pay that I get as a writer. But like everyone's been saying, I have a very huge faith in God. So for me, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be doing this because it will test you. But um, I don't do it for the money. I do it for when I see people's faces and, and they say, oh, you know, I've seen one of your your plays or I've I read your short or I've seen something and I loved it. And I just love being part of this community and being able to carry on the legacy of storytelling. Um, so for me, that's why I do it. Because if I did it for the money, I would have left about five years ago. And I, and I see certain things happening now that it's getting better. I'm seeing more people get commissions. Like I saw, I saw um, Tenny's um, short, which I loved. And I'm seeing more and more people making up in the industry in terms of we're getting more black commissioners. We're getting more black, um, pe- black um, women in development. We're getting more black directors. It's very slow, but it's at least it's happening. Um, <laughs> this representation piece across across the spectrum is so is so important and <clears throat> like I rate you guys I 100% rate you guys for the the, t- the tenacity and the resilience outside of the creativeness because the, the skill set um that you guys need to 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 survive pretty much to survive in film um is a lot and I know you guys have mentioned, um, you mentioned Michaela several times, and I think for most Black women who have seen her come up, I mean, I was I was at university when I first saw Michaela. When we say university, I'm talking like the early millennium, the early 2000s when she was doing um, shows, spoken words even. And so to get to a point where in the last five years, you know, seeing um I may destroy you. It's like it's just a complete journey. And 
when we think about representation, you know, we've got we've got the Michaela Coles, we've got the ZZ Mills, um, we've got hold on. I actually I actually took the time to to name a few. You know, Charlene White in terms of TV pre um, presenting, um, and it is really important for Black women to see ourselves in the media. Sometimes I still don't believe it. Sometimes I see blackness on the screen and I, I speak to my grandma. She's like, I, you know, I remember when, I can't name the people I'm afraid. And she's like, when this person used to come on TV, we used to get around and be like, yeah, they're here. And I think all these years later, 40, 50 years later, I'm still like, when there's an advert or a, or a black voiceover, I'm like, oh, is it? But yeah, <laughs> like, I, I'm still like, is it? Is it? Is this real? Like, are we are we actually diversifying the media or is it still like, does it still feel like this tokenistic representation? Yes, there was a black voice for a month there. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, girl. This is your space. Um, I get really frustrated um, because... As someone who is still, quote unquote, like junior entry level in my career. So I'm an assistant at a production company and that's basically how I pay my bills. And then I write on the side. So I'm still in TV in the sense that I'm in the space and I'm learning and I'm evolving. And I'm also working on my creative actual writing and it feeds into it. But something I've noticed in the past few years is that at the entry level, at the base, there's so many of us. And then the higher you climb, it just gets whiter and whiter. And it's frustrating because it's great when you see more Black people in terms of like an adverts or doing voiceovers and things like that, because you're like, okay, yeah, we're being shown. But still behind the scenes, when we're not there, that's when it starts to feel like these white people are having a conversation. We've got to put a Black face. The Black face is there and that's it. And that isn't sustainable in the long term. Because if all you're doing is dotting a black face here or a black voice there, you're just doing it at face value. But if you're not actually working to put black people and allowing black and training black people up, and I think that's so important, like they're training black people up to move up and progress up and through companies so that they're at higher levels. The long-term effects, like the more the TV shows and the adverts, it not being an occurrence where we're like, oh my gosh, wow, we see like a black show and we're so excited. It being more of a regular thing, that doesn't happen because it feels like they're just being like oh we need to fill a rotor we need to basically fill a quote fill a quota I mean um so as much as I love seeing more black people in adverts and hearing more black voiceovers and having more conversations about black tv shows happening I'm very much like there needs to be more work done in these production companies behind the scenes to put black people in development teams at commissioner levels as executive producers because it doesn't change unless we're actually there at those in those spaces. What? Yeah, I would like to add on to what you've said, Ibukin, because that's very spot on. I think that representation is a bit of a double-edged sword in a way that it's not necessarily always a good thing because especially in film and TV, there is more representation of black people, but what kind of black people do we see? Do they tend to be darker skinned? Do they tend to be lighter skinned? What do they look like? What are the features? What does it say about society? And there's this idea that 
in our industry, if you put a couple of actors that shows some kind of diversity, then it is enough. But even when it comes to the stories being told, if the stories are being written about us, but not by people who look like us, what does it say about us if they're not directed by people who look like us? I remember watching that TV show about a Black family, and I remember watching it and being like, that's nice, but it felt like, you know, when you play with your Barbies and then you realize that it's not really real, like it's very lovely, but it's not real. So, um, these things are also things to think about. And the thing about representation is that it's not necessarily going to change who has power in our industry. And there's also that whole thing about people's um, people's values and also people's agenda. What I mean is that it's not necessarily, because sometimes there's also issues where it's not because you will see black people in the workplace or black people that look like you on screen that it means that they necessarily have your values or that they care about the same things that you do care about not all not all skin folk skin folk thank you so there's always things to think about because i'm not going to go and i'm not going to get into political but it's not because literally you put also black people in some places that's going to change everything so that's all these things that we really have to think about when it comes to representation Mm. I feel like that's a segue into one of my other questions about about your community, about sisterhood. And I know you spoke about, um, you referenced a group that most of you might be part of. But, you know, quite often there's this conversation around, you know, like crabs in a bucket. There's only room for one at the top um, and just you know, it's really, it's really weird because on one hand, we're like, I see another black face, yo sis, I got you, that that unspoken code, that nod, that, oh, yes. And then on the other hand, there's a conversation that's saying, actually, it feels like I'm not being supported by people who have come before me. They're not passing the baton, they're, they're closing the door and they're picking, pulling up their ladder behind them. Like, what does sisterhood actually look like in in film, um, I think you like as Delia said. I believe Delia, you and Thara started off Black Women in Scripted, right? Um, and I know Thara personally. And when I found this particular group, I was like, "This is just amazing!" Because you finally find that you're not alone in this industry. If you don't know people, like if you don't like go out, or if you're kind of just doing your own thing, you kind of think you are alone until someone basically invites you into a community. I also have a community um called Christian Creatives that I formed like nearly a year ago and I was just a bit crazy. And as a Christian, I was like, I need to find other Christians that are creatives and see how they're navigating this space. Um and like I remember I met another lady who was like, oh I didn't even know like anyone else that was a Christian in this particular space. And with regards to just like black women in scripted for example, it's like I feel like you're always having to either delete members. I think Delia can talk more on this. But like, I feel like I always see like members, not, not delete members to say, but like I always see people saying, oh, you're saying that the group is literally at the max and you can't physically add more people into it because it's just the max. And that's beautiful to say because I feel like I'm really speaking for Delia right now, but like, I don't know if they're like 200 plus members or so, but there's so many people that are joining. And I guess for me, the more, the more you know other people within the industry, the easier it makes because you can ask questions, you can build friendships, you can um, 
see what other people are achieving and root for them. And then when you do something, people can root for you too. And there's just this whole like beauty in people just supporting each other. So I feel like people do talk a lot, but a lot about people not helping other people out. But if I'm being honest, I wouldn't be where I am today if not for the people that helped me out. Like I have so many people that have just given me a chance, have like put me in touch with somebody or like open the door for me. Um, obviously, I'm not where I want to be, but at least I am continuing to achieve just because of the people that have helped me out and spoken, yeah, spoken to me really. I just have to say disclaimer, I have nothing to do with BS <laughs> with the group. Um, I think it's Madeline and Anthara, I think. Um, My bad, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine, but I think I just looked and there's 292 of us in the group. Um, I think as a myth, thinking that we will just wait until we get somewhere to then bring someone up, because I've been very open from the get-go when I was no and I didn't have no deal or nothing I'd be like anyone want to jump on board anyone to come anyone want to help out I really appreciate it. and I've never forgotten those people and I'm I'm always conscious of if I can speak in a room and say yo there's these four amazing women that I met today and I'd like to speak about them blah blah because not every job is for me either if I know they're going to have a job that requires a sci-fi writer I don't know no sci-fi but I know that these particular people I will I will say look these are the people that you need to speak to. Um, I think it's definitely a myth within the film and, industry, film and TV industry. It's very much like we all support each other. We all will go to each other's events. We'll all go to each other's screening if we can, because we do realise that being a writer is lonely enough as it is. It's very, um, in, if I'm saying to people I'm writing a script, they think I just write it within a day and they don't understand how much of the process takes away from your life, your social life, your relationships. Now, now I'm a, a new mum as well. So I've always advocated and like um, Tenny was saying, I, I haven't got half the jobs if someone else didn't say my name first. Um, so it's all it's always about helping the next person, the next generation, because um, then when I do get into a room and it, it is my show, I can say, oh, I want this person as my producer and this person as my director. And I want to recommend this person as my, especially makeup and hair, because ain't no one trying to look crazy in these streets. Okay. I didn't even remember that as oh, a question. Ashy. Makeup and hair. I was like, I need a black hairdresser because you lot are not going to have me in no EastEnder wig. I need a lace front. So it, it really helps when you have that connection and that base to be able to. I think Issa said, don't network up, network across. And sometimes it's very good to know who's on the same level and field as you. Sometimes who's not, because those that haven't had their first pitch or first um, commission are hungry and you need them people on your team. Then someone that's like, oh, well, I'll get back to you in like three weeks. And you're like, girl, the time is money. I need I need to know like right now. I was just going to say with regards to the whole um, having like a black person do your hair. I remember once I had to do like an interview. (laughs) Of course. And but I, I have locks now to be fair, so it's a bit different. But then I still had my afro and they bought a Caucasian person. I'm not saying not all Caucasians can't, but this particular person couldn't do black hair because this person was a tail comb to try and comb my afro hair. I just had to say, I just said you need to slow down. You gotta just slow down right now. And obviously, I, in my head, I guess I like I was like, this is probably gonna be a possibility. So I already bought my afro comb. Like I was like, don't know, I'll comb my hair myself. Tried to style, I was like, I'll just please. Just I'm Yoruba, I say Edjo, which means please just just step back. And I'll do it myself. <laughs> so what did he say with regards to like just being able to bring the right people in to get the job done? Uh, when you look some of when you like look at some of the older American films and you see the way the black people, you just see the foundation is round. 
<laughs> around their face like this. You see, the, I'm just like, why are we doing this? Anyway, it's, it's okay. There's, oh a, there's a change in series. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I, I love the group. So Black Women Scripted is one group I'm in. Babes in Development is another group I'm in. There's a few groups out there. And I think whenever I'm asked at work, oh, do you know any writers? I jump in that group chat and I'm like, hey, anybody looking for a thing? Because I know, listen, they're going to go to whoever they're going to go to first. I have a resource of talented Black women that I can, like, send in. If I can if I can put you at the forefront of the list, I'm going to put you at the forefront of the list. So in all of my time in this industry, I have only been, like, uplifted and helped by Black women. And I think because, like, we've all been saying there's so few of us, it's the minute, like, you just want us to continue to see us win. And I love that. Like, I feel like, the, like I, I saw Thara at my workplace a few days ago and I was like, oh, hey, and we're just talking because it was like, yeah, like, this is good. I feel that. Anyway, Ma, I'm, t- I'm talking. <laughs> just, no, I'm we love it. <laughs> and, and the thing is, like, when on the podcast, I mean, the whole premise, Black women working, it started from quite negative experiences. And, and we always run the risk, not always, but there's this risk of just having a conversation that's doom and gloom, right? Because any topic we pick up is like, oh. Like, so when when there's celebration, when there's things to smile about and talk about and be joyous about, yeah, girl, have your moment. Um, and in actual fact, I did want to ask you guys. I know, I know, Tenny said, you know, maybe whoever's listening, maybe I'll get that agent. But we have a we have a platform, we have listeners, and so I'm po- I'm posing the question to you, like you talk about, you've just spoken about bringing sisters along with you, bringing people up working across your network if you had a personal wish and the right person was listening what would you like for your career today this year our theme is working on me in 2023 um and that's all the personal I'm picking but you know you never know who's listening what do you want ladies (laughs) I mean I can't give it to you myself or what's your personal wish this year? Um, money. <laughs> but if I, well, if I can have all the money I, I need, I definitely need an agent. I need a literary agent and I need a scripted for film and TV agent. That would be great. And on the topic of money, producers are very, very needed because they are such a scarce resource when it comes to film and TV good producers so I think that will be I'm not asking for a lot <laughs> just for all of that Honey? um I would want to direct something this year I have directed my short film Teju's Tale which is out I have shadow directed on a Netflix show and a Sky show so I'm ready to direct a show or a film so if you're listening just check, you know, check me out. <laughs> and also I'm writing a period drama um, with regards to which Nigerians in England. Um, so I need, I want to, I want to cast a big like name for that. So if you like period dramas and you're Nigerian, holler at your girl. <laughs> if we can. I want to make my short film that I'm currently writing in the UK 
Um, the last one was made in Ghana. I wrote it here. I didn't have any involvement in the shooting process, but I really want to make this one, use Black British actors. And I also want to be in writer's rooms. I'm very, I mean, I love, I love the work that I do and I love writing at home, but I need that experience. I need that. I need that exposure. I need to learn. I need to grow. And so if anybody is hiring writers assistants or just allowing people to shadow in writers' rooms, put me in. Um, you want to fund my short film? Hey, I'll send you the script. It's about sexuality and Christianity. It's a great thing. Um, yeah. And also money. Money is always good too. Please. See? Um, that's a very good question. I'm actually thrown off. Um, I think for me, I just want to have a show on a prime slot that is casted crew with black people. And um, I think that for me would be more than anything. I think um, just to see more of us win, I just want the BAFTAs to be so black, blackity black, 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 that, that it just takes over. I just want us to win everything to because we deserve to and not it to, to be uh, because it's a tokenism thing or whatever. I just want to see the next evolution of TV and just be a part of it. I think that's my main thing. Um, ladies, I will holler at you afterwards because I, I've got some um, right, um, agents you can actually holler at um, for you to be able to speak to. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Just be the, in the, involved in the next revolution of TV and, and yeah, more coins, man, and keep our rights. I think that's the main thing. I mean, for any if if by any chance any of those commissioners are listening, <laughs> you've heard you've heard from from the women themselves. Um, I didn't even get to to go into to funding opportunities because actually, and I, I I'm I know I need to wrap up real soon, but actually I did I did come across some information about funding. Um, I'll, I'll share it with you guys. So it said like. The, where was this from? This was from, it was from a Medium article, actually. And it said the creation um, in in the early 80s of the, of Channel 4 um, and the development of subsidised film work enabled Black collectives to emerge and within a few years, budgets were devoted to ethnic arts and they went from £30,000 to £2 million, but we're talking about in the 80s. Um and so it was that injection, that early injection in the 80s of funding that really started a process in the UK. Um, for any other women in film trying to tap into funding, is that even a thing? Is that even a thing? Look at the face. If it was a thing, people would be like, we won't be here telling you we want money, Chantel. <laughs> the, um. Uh, I can just briefly share my journey in funding. So my first short films were, I worked for my first web series uh, with a production company, but they didn't pay us. They didn't, they didn't pay us. So that wasn't great, but they provide everything. Then my other shorts were when I was in film school. So it was paid by um, the film schools. And then my with different projects, we tried to tap into public funding, which is... 
personally, I wouldn't recommend doing that. I plenty of people told me you need to go private and look for uh, and fund your own films, and I hated it because I felt like it's trading writing as if it was an expensive hobby. If I'm learning to play the violin, yes, I will pay for lessons because I'm never going to be a prodigy. Like no, of course, I'm never going to be a professional, right? But I'm a professional writer. Why should I pay for my own projects, especially with taxpayer money? And we all pay tax. Even if you're on benefits, everyone pay tax, right? But eventually, that's the funding I got for my short because my new one, because it's in, it's unless you have connects with a public funding bodies, it's going to be tricky. It's, and even if you do get that money, as I know a couple of people would do, trying to get it for your next project is also going to be tricky. So it's not even sorted. So I'd say, yeah. Yeah, that's my opinion on that. So I'm just going to also add, because what you said with regards to, and okay. it's a game. This whole thing is a game, right? And it was, I was literally, my cousin's a filmmaker as well. And you were just talking about like the people that you see getting into festivals, um, getting the funding. If you really look closely, after a while, you kind of see it's kind of the same people or like within the same circles or the same group because it's an inside game. Um, which by default, then for me, therefore means if you're not in that circle or you're not in the game, then you're you're not going to be counted as one that is deemed worthy of being awarded the fund or getting into a short film festival or whatever. Um, so, as first of all, I want to let people know that that is a thing because I feel like some people. I was very naive about this, to be honest. Like I didn't know, but they're like, no, pay attention. Like the person that just happened to get this scheme. You know, this person is actually already doing well, but why do you think this person is getting it or not? I'm not saying disclaimer. I'm not saying it's always like this, because so, I know they'll come and shoot me now. I'm not saying it's always like that, but it does happen, unfortunately. So I guess with regards to like funding, I mean, I don't want you to discourage people, like continue to try and like um, apply for these things. Um, Self-funding is very, very annoying. But I am an advocate for using people's money to do these things because it's expensive. So my first short film was actually funded by Kickstarter, um, on Kickstarter more like. Um, Kickstarters aren't as popular now, to be honest. But then I do have a friend that did a Kickstarter like late last year and he was still able to raise money, like I think like nearly 10,000 grand on it. So I would still advocate for trying your best to put your, your word out there and like letting people know about your work and why they should fund your work. Um, and maybe even when you're going for these schemes, not going for the popular ones and like the ones that are like all over the news, and, like everybody seems to know about it. Even like try and do your research into your local um, council, I think it's called. Some of them actually do have funds for like film and arts, um, but because they're not public and big, people don't know about them. So do your research and you could find some pockets of money in some places that you didn't even know whether. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, believe it or not, we've been here for almost an hour. And I, I, I mean, I'm not the industry insider, but I know I definitely haven't tapped into all of the nooks and crannies and, and gems that you guys have to offer. But I'm, I'm really, really appreciative of your time. And the, the stories that you've shared and the insight that you've shared is, is invaluable. And you know, for, for us as a community, as a community, and we've said it several times in this hour, like, we just want to see Black women win across the board. In fact, I don't even care if I see it. Just Black women win. <laughs> we'll stop because 
this hard graft that you're doing behind the scenes, all the work that you're doing, sometimes are, well, sometimes we're not even seen. So, you know, your work, your work is appreciated and you are valued. And, you know, I, res- I totally respect and I'm in awe of creatives who pursue a purpose that doesn't have a straight path and isn't easy to navigate because, as I've said already, it takes strength of character. Um, and we can only hope that we will see change, that we will actually, that, that this, if we have a conversation with Black women in film in five years, in 10 years, it won't be, uh, what are the challenges, the seat at the table, that that hopefully we are just talking about the wins. Amen. Um, <laughs> but um I do have to wrap up so before I go, and of course, um, the listeners will um be privy to your socials and be able to find you, but I will give you an opportunity. To, is there anything that we should be looking out for? Any pieces of work? Um, I know you've referenced them several times, things that we need to watch because we need to get those viewings up. We need to back you where we can. So please take a moment to invite us into your world. Where do we need to be? What do we need to be clicking on? What do we need to be tapping into to enjoy your work this year? Hey, is there no work? Okay, I might as well go first. Oh my God, that's embarrassing. So um, my short film is doing the festival rounds at the moment, which means that by basically the festival rounds, you send your film for up to a year to different festivals. And after that, you can show it online. So my new film called Pearls, which is about young women of color and the way they deal with unwanted um sexual attention, um, especially from men as teenagers. They are teenagers, not the men. So anyway, the film um, is, av- is going to be available on social media soon. Well, on YouTube at the end, by the end of the year. So check that out. I've also released a new short stories collection called Solitude, which is about the Black experience in Europe. It's a collection of different short stories, so it's more literature. And yes, you can find me on all social media. Um, it's at Aude, A-U-D-E, Conan, K-O-N-A-N. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Okay, anyone else? Um, I, I think I said like a million times, but do watch my short film, Teji's Tale. It's on YouTube. It, it is about, it's set in the 1950s. It's about a Nigerian girl that goes to England to study nursing, but unfortunately she faces challenges when they ask to see her monkey's tail. Um, it's based on a true story that happened to my grandma. Um, so yeah, please watch it, share it. Um, I'm also on social media at Teniola, T-E-N-I-O-L-A, Zara King. Um, so give a follow and also you can share the trailer and all that good stuff on my page as well. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Um, Um, So my short film, Blood in the Water, which was uh, produced through the AIF, that's the Accra Indie Film Fest, is currently being submitted by them for um, other short film festival awards. Um, But at the moment, I'm writing a short called The Elephant, which is about what happens when three 
daughters who live in a very Christian household find something they wouldn't expect to find in their dad's room. Um, I'm also working on developing a poem into a longer theatre piece. Um, the poem's called Lessons to My 26-Year-Old Self, so I wrote it last year because I'm 27 now. Um, but you can find my performance of the poem on my Twitter, which is at Bledgie, so B-L-E-D-G-I-E underscore, and also my Instagram, which I don't think I shared with Chantel, but I will now, but it's private. So that doesn't really help you. Um, <laughs> at Bless underscore up, down, left, right. Um, and I'm also, I used to have, well, I used to have a podcast. I don't have one anymore, but if you find that, have a listen. It's um, at From Home Pod. Lovely. And Dee, are there any mentoring opportunities coming up? I, I know a few people who who have come through to you, like school friends and stuff. And I was like, oh, I know, I'm glad you two connected. Not that I'm even connected to them, but it's nice to see. Are there any opportunities coming? you sorry to put you on the spot if there's not no like no pressure um yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna reopen a mentoring um I don't even like calling it mentoring I just if people I'm I'm an open book if writers ever want to speak to me or ask me general questions they always can um on my website which is dlrenee.com forward slash rewrite um I will be doing script feedback and um probably by next month because now my child's a bit older and she eats it gives me a little bit of freedom. Um, and plus I miss it. I actually miss um, connecting with writers and, and stuff like that. Um, at the moment, a lot of my stuff's in development, but by November, hopefully my episode for Jojo and Grand Grand um, called It's Time for a Blackout will be out, which I'm really, really excited about. It's my first um, children's animation, which was really, really dope. And as a St. Lucian, I'm very proud to do oh. something. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> to do something um related to the Caribbean um and yeah and hopefully I'll have more things in development I can help so many other people as well but yeah mostly find me on my Instagram which is delia.renee which will give you links to my coaching and everything else that I do in terms of tv and film and also just rant about motherhood because it's the ghetto sometimes <laughs> it's definitely the ghetto it's the trenches babes and I'm still dead like 10 years 10 years on still here Anyway, right. Um, it's a wrap. Thank you for joining, ladies. Thank you, listeners, for staying with us. Um, you can continue to connect with the Black Women Working Podcast via our socials. That's at BWW Podcast UK. You can visit our website for previous episodes. That's the three W's, blackwomenworking.com. We're also on LinkedIn. And for a more personal touch, we love to hear from you. You can email us on blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com. I never stumble. Anyway, um, until next time, ciao.